Now I'm recording. For Sweet. real. And I've For been recording this whole real. time, even though. Should we clap just to make sure? Since they're not going to be the same length of file? Yeah. All right. Okay. One, two, three. <laughs> Close enough. Good enough. Good enough. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if it's naughty to rule your lips, take your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be bad. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Hi, Deanna. Hi, Hannah. How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty well, you know. I've had some uh, business calls interrupt me on this weekend day, but it's, uh, you know, I'm fine. Gross. I'm happy to be here with you. I know I'm happy to be here with you, too. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the, it's the week of Thanksgiving, so I can it also is. say, Deanna, I am thankful for you. Hannah, I'm so grateful for you. And I look that, at us. I mean, we're being facetious in this little moment, but the the sentiment is genuine. I mean, it's true. I am grateful for you. I'm grateful for you and this podcast, especially. It's so. I I think it's so interesting that we have been going for three years now. Do I have that right? Shit, I don't even know. I don't either. It's been a long time, and and it came out of like that existential requirement to um, learn about things that made us feel good and powerful after Donald Trump was elected. And now we're watching the slow, sad, like, deflation of his presidency, like that sort of whiny balloon sound when you yeah, let that's the air the out exact, of it, you know? That's exactly right. That is the, the <laughs> perfect metaphor. <laughs> yeah oh my god that was perfect but more annoying sounding <laughs> yeah so much more annoying and expensive and I, the fact that joe biden has to fund his own transition is like a level of absurd i didn't know we could hit but we're doing it so that's great anyway um, that uh, our president <laughs> can be a whiny baby kicking and screaming I just find it ironic that that, you know, his followers call everyone else snowflakes when Donald Trump is the biggest snowflake there is. It's propaganda. He can't it's just be like, a loser. He yeah, can't. It's that it our, cannot register in his brain. Yeah, our, our country has gotten very, very good at propaganda. But um, but either way, like this doing this podcast throughout that whole process has been so interesting. And I guess. Um, I should introduce the podcast that we're oh, yeah. talking about. Hi, this is Good Witches, Bad Bitches. <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast about women and femme folk throughout history. And um, yeah, join us if you want to casually learn about cool people, because that's what we do. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's pretty much that's what we're here to do. And we're here to do that because... We really had an emotional and mental need for it at a certain time in our own history. And now I I'm just so interested with where we are as a podcast, like how far we've come and all of the topics that we've managed to cover, the people we've managed to talk about and what I know now versus what I knew then. You know, like on our first episode, I didn't know who Madame C.J. Walker was. I thought she was a he. And then I got to do an episode about her three years later. And like, that's Growth. pretty cool. <laughs> I know. Like, I know things now. So many new things that I just didn't know. And I'm very grateful for that. And so. things I never would have uh, even thought to seek out. Right. Because, you know, exactly. you and I, we're, we tend to gravitate towards certain types of people most of the time. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes I become aware of that and I go, let me specifically seek out somebody that I would not have thought to look for. Yeah. And frequently I, I mean, those become my favorites. It's weird. Yeah. I enjoy when you and I sort of flip the script and choose people that the other person might have chosen. Mm-hmm. Just because 
Like, then we we know for sure that the other person is going to be super interested because obviously we yeah, know like that, that when you did you anime know. Wong and I was like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yes. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> you were you were mad at me, but also enthralled. At no, the same I wasn't time. mad at all. I was so excited. <laughs> it's cool to talk about people that the other person knows about too, because I love telling you new things that you wouldn't have known before. Or like when you did Mae West. Oh my God, that was the coolest episode because I mean, obviously, I went to film school. You know, I did. I had several film theory classes. I've watched Mae West films and love her and so it was so cool to hear about all of these elements of of her rise to fame that I never would have known and how much of a writer she was like yeah so cool that even I didn't know so when it's like I think I know a little bit about who I'm gonna research and then I go wait what it's part of the beauty of it I don't know I like our little our little corner of the podcasting world I do, too. I think people appreciate us, too. Thank you. And we're dear, grateful for people who listen. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm you still shocked the that there are people who just want to sit and listen to us have a conversation <laughs> about I know women. But I think I our appreciation for each other and and all our our rapport with each other comes through. And I just I have fun doing it. And I think that that shows as well. Me My too. hip just popped. I agree. <laughs> hey, that's always a good feeling. So thank you, thank you, thank you. The, I guess all the the main point of all of this is us just <laughs> talking about what we're grateful for because it's Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, and we can ignore the um, you know horrible and destructive colonialism element of this holiday. Maybe in this moment, at I least just always to say, have. Like, <laughs> It's yeah. like how Christmas for me has nothing to do with Jesus because I'm not a Christian. Thanksgiving <laughs> right. is has um, I heard the story about how it quote unquote came to be and believed that for like my childhood years, and now I'm like, mm, I I I think I'm gonna choose to ignore the 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 aspects that I, that I don't like yeah. and stick with the aspects that I do while acknowledging that those ones I don't like exist. Yeah. You know what my favorite Thanksgiving movie is? Is uh, It's Adam's Family Values. I thought you were going to say Adam's Family Values. Yeah. And that one's on Netflix now. Ooh. So if you need a Thanksgiving movie, go watch that one because, you know, they tell the truth. And I appreciate it. Um. (laughs) Yeah. I had nothing to add. I thought I might. And I was like, no, she did it perfectly. (laughs) Yeah. That's that was maybe a long-winded way of just saying happy Thanksgiving, but um, you know, that's what we're here for. Long-winded, long-windedness uh, intros, <laughs> and then cool people. So it's my turn today. Okay, good. Because I don't have notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we talked. We talked for a long time about Alice Mitchell last week, and it was fabulous. I it sure was, did. That was such a good conversation. Yeah. It really was. Like, one of the reasons it ended up staying so long is because Ben listened to it, and he was like, I don't want to cut anything. <laughs> this is really interesting to me, and I feel like it would be, it's, you know. It's just c- the kind of conversation you and I would have off mic anyway. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is, you know. But today is going to be a little bit more straightforward. Um, I was doing some research into Stacey Abrams in part because I would still like to um, talk about her at some point and I thought I might this week but I ended up coming across an article about other women who kind of paved the way for Stacey and the fight that she is um, waging right now. If you don't know who Stacey Abrams is, she is um, a politician and a romance novelist and an activist and an organizer. And, and a nerd. And we love <laughs> her. A nerd, total nerd. And right now she is fighting 
and raising money for the fight um, to elect Reverend Warnock and John Ossoff, Ossoff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. to the Senate in Georgia. And the reason that's important is because without those two in the Senate, we will go back to having a Republican Senate or a 50-50 split if only one of them is elected. So if we can elect both of them, we will Democrats will have a majority in the Senate. Which is and important because... The person really been fucking everything up for decades is stupid fucking Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell has basically prevented any possibility of a stimulus of, mm-hmm. I, I mean, like healthcare being a real productive um, functioning apparatus, like all sorts of things that are really important and not just important, but popular popular with the american people like Mm -hmm. the majority of americans want these things mitch mcconnell says no you cannot have them and because he has the majority in the senate and he is the leader in the senate he basically just gets to filibuster everything and anything that democrats put forward and that's that we never get to see any like positive legislation go through so stacey abrams is fighting a really really important fight and It is very possible that she and other black women organizers on her team and off her team are responsible for turning Georgia blue. So it is. And she did run for governor a few years ago and Mm -hmm. almost won because her whole thing was about voter suppression and the, the her Republican opponent was, I believe, secretary of state of Georgia at the time. So uh, he was in charge of voting counts. So, of course, he was going to like that is such a conflict of interest. It's insane. Um, yeah, but- he he managed to do some sneaky shit and basically uh, voter suppress <laughs> yeah. her. In, you know, in, any, a loss, because clearly there are plenty of blue voters in Georgia as the Georgia vote has now been certified. And um, it's a, a yeah. solid win for Joe Biden there. So solid yeah. win, like indisputable oh yeah truly solid win um yeah it's it's super important and she after her loss in georgia that year that was when she realized what she needed to be doing was getting georgians primarily black georgians who had never been encouraged to register to vote or to vote um registered so that's been her mission the last several years has been to register all of these people who maybe don't regularly vote because they don't see their uh, lives really being taken into account by our government. So they just don't vote at all because they don't know they can, they don't know they should, they don't know that their vote matters. Yeah. And she has been doing a lot of work to change that. With all of that said, I, I kind of went down a rabbit hole looking at Stacy and then people who inspired Stacy and people like Stacy and I ended up coming across a person who I started reading about her and I was like oh shit I've never heard of this person and maybe you have I, I don't know we'll find out mm-hmm. um but I I never had and her um story is incredibly important to the work that Stacy's doing now. So I thought I would talk about Mary Church Terrell today. Did that name ring a bell at all? I'm not sure. <laughs> I like your face, your, your thinking cap face. Not an immediate bell, no. That's okay. I didn't, I didn't know who she was either, but I found some really great articles about her. Obviously, I took some uh, information from Wikipedia. It's always a good <laughs> place to get filler, all the all the fill-in details. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am going to be primarily reading from a Time article and an excerpt from a, an anthology edited by Veronica Chambers called Finish the Fight. Um, but I, I couldn't find the author of this specific ep- excerpt, so I'm going to link to the New York Times article where I found it. Um, but the anthology is edited by Veronica Chambers, so 
it, you should be able to find it on Amazon or anything, something like that if you want to go look for this book. It is about lots of different people, not just Mary, um, but primarily women who ha made a difference in a large way that we don't talk about. Um, I also took some info from womenshistory.org. So uh, Mary Church Terrell. Let's do it. The, yeah. She was the <laughs> daughter of former slaves. She uh, was born on September 23rd, 1863 in Memphis, Tennessee. So like right on that That's border. That's so of... weird that you and I both in two weeks did people from Memphis. Oh, yeah. That's right. Mm. <laughs> I didn't put that together at all. But from yeah, around the Alice same Mitchell. era, too. Well, I know, and that was why I, I kept double-checking when Alice Mitchell was born or when you had told me she was born because I was like, I'm not doing the same person, am I? But there was, obviously, there was no way <laughs> that I was going to end up doing the same person. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so 1863 in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, Robert Reed Church was her father, and he was a su successful businessman who became one of the South's first African-American millionaires. Which is uh, like, whoa, I know. I've talked about one of them already, Madam C.J. Walker. And yeah. so he was one of the true first African-American millionaires. And her mother was Louisa Ayers Church, who owned a hair salon. And their affluence and belief in the importance of education enabled Terrell to attend the Antioch College Laboratory School in Ohio and later Oberlin College, where she became one of the first black women to earn a college degree in the United States. Yeah, um, I was going to say, this is quite yeah. a time to be a black woman in college. I know. Wow. It's, it, like, truly one of the first. And, and it was primarily possible because of her father's wealth. And I, sure. I didn't go into any, like, I didn't fall down the rabbit hole about where his money came from. Kind of wish I had, but I didn't. Um, but yeah, she had money. Money covers all sorts of it. other per perceived faults in the elite world. Rich <laughs> yeah. people will overlook a lot. Mm hmm If you're rich like them. God. Yeah, yes, they will. <laughs> she got her degree was, I believe, in um, like literature, like literary studies. So mm. she was studying like actual English classics and stuff like that. But um, she then earned her master's degree there at Oberlin. And then she wow. embarked on a two year, yeah, two year tour of France, Switzerland, Italy, and Germany. Wow. And yeah, yeah. And then she studied all their languages as she was traveling by writing in those languages in her diary. And so I, I'm she was sorry. like. I'm sorry. She did it by writing instead of just like conversing. So that's like learning how to speak through writing is like a different part of your brain. Because yeah, a lot I'm of people sure know how was, to speak English, but don't know I how mean, to spell. You know what I mean? I'm sure when she went there and had to be around people speaking in those languages, she was forced to converse in them somewhat. But yeah, she was teaching herself. She was teaching herself those languages in, I assume, both senses. But like by writing them down, she was able to um, actually learn how to write in those languages. Which yeah, because you have to take later the extra on. step to, to go yeah. from... Okay, I know what this word sounds like and what it means, but what the fuck, how is it spelled? Yeah. Yeah. And and even crazier, like, remember, this is still the 1800s. <laughs> yeah. You like, know? slavery like just still... ended. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she was born in 1863, so this is probably 1880s or something like that. But, but her yeah, parents I mean, were slaves? Yeah. Her family <laughs> remembers what that was like. And um, and while she was traveling the world, the United States was still reeling from the aftermath of the Civil War. Sure. You know, lynchings were becoming a form of domestic terrorism. Yep. And over the decades, thousands of black men and women were brutally killed by white mobs. 
and with their murderers never prosecuted ever oh you weird know? i mean it's a good thing we changed that not yeah <laughs> i i don't remember who um i was taught oh was it my mom my mom is reading a book which i would like to get called cast and i think it was i think it was her who was telling me about this but there was or maybe it was you i don't i can't remember but there was um a t- period of time from this point of time that we're talking about onward when white people and this there's this is a trigger warning for lynchings you know violence towards black people but um there was a time when white people would make postcards using photos of them and local white people next to the bodies of oh yeah lynched black people yes and i didn't know that that was a detail of of lynchings that that happened but they would mail these postcards to their family members like a hey isn't this cool what we did and the postal service had to say please stop sending these because it's too fucking fucked up for us to look at like we can't see these postcards every day of you standing next to brutalized bodies we just can't do it brutalized black bodies wow Um, so awful and so that is you know i i apologize for like how awful that is to hear but like that is an element of what's happening in the united states at the time that she is becoming a a supremely educated person she's learning four languages you know she's traveling the world and all of this is is waiting for her back home you know right (laughs) and um yeah it's just it is it's just so fucked up so when she returned um she moved to washington dc in 1887 and taught for a few years at the M Street Colored High School. And there she met and married Heberton Terrell. I hope I'm saying that right. H-E-B-E-R-T-O-N. So her activism, which is what she was ultimately known for, was sparked a year later in 1892 when an old friend was lynched in Memphis by whites because his business was competing with theirs. Yeah, totally justified and, reason. Ugh, gross. Yeah. So this was, uh, this this made all of it just that much more real for her. And she joined her friend, um, her new friend, Ida B. Wells Barnett, in anti-lynching campaigns. But her life work would focus on the notion of racial uplift, which I... I I don't necessarily um, agree with what she posits in a lot of ways, but, you know, we have to remember that this was a different time. Um, But she believed that black people could help end racial discrimination by advancing themselves and other members of the race through education, work, and community activism, which, like, yes, yes, but they needed to, they need to be afforded those opportunities in equal measure, which they are not. So it kind of wishful thinking in some ways, but it was a strategy based on the power of equal opportunities to advance the race and her belief that as one succeeds, the whole race, the whole race would be elevated. Hmm. Um, which I, I, I think now, especially we're talking, you know, in the year 2020, we're talking about reparations in a way that we haven't ever really before because it's finally becoming apparent that um, that's a thing we needed to have done back in 1863 right. and never did. Right. And so black people have not been afforded the same opportunities, period, and that is a real barrier regardless of, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of any other opportunity. So I think that it's interesting to see some of the things that she – fought for and really believed, but also understand some of the um, issues with those beliefs now that we know what we know, you know, and now that we've been through a hundred and some odd years of this and we can see that there are other things at play. I also feel too that like, 
if you come from a position like her family did, where it's like, well, my parents started as slaves and were able to, through their own hard work and gumption, work themselves up to become millionaires and be at the top, then anybody can do it. Right. And so that's all it takes. Yes. So in a weird way, she she does come from a perspective of privilege, just having grown Mm -hmm. up with money. Yes. Which is at a a time when you wouldn't think there there are many arenas in which, you know, a black woman could be afforded much privilege. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And um, I hadn't considered that necessarily, but it's, uh, yeah. If and in a are, way it's not wrong, but it also is ignoring yeah. some other things. It's complex. Right. It's not, it's not wrong because she's proof that it's not wrong. Right. However, it it isn't uh it isn't a total totally equal um <laughs> scenario situation. Right. right. But um yeah. So in 1896, the Supreme Court delivered its ruling in Plessy versus Ferguson, which declared segregation permissible under the Constitution ah. as long as the segregated facilities and accommodations were quote equal. But in reality, uh-huh. separate was never equal. Weird. <laughs> uh-huh. That same year, Mary co-founded and became the first president of the National Association of Colored Women, a coalition of more than 100 local black women's clubs. The organization's motto was lifting as we climb. So Ooh, I like when that. we succeed, we bring others up with us, or at least that's the intention. I think that's a really strong uh, uh, inspiration for what I like to believe is current modern day feminism. Intersectional yeah. feminism. Yeah. And the only thing is that we have to recognize that us, like one of us succeeding isn't always all of us succeeding. Some people need to be lifted with a little bit more help than others and that that should be okay. Yes. You know, that that should be not frowned upon as like, oh, well, you're not trying hard enough to get lifted or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it was a very, so. that that's a very Margaret Thatcher position. <laughs> the What? The if, if, if you can't, I, you just have to work harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it'll be yeah, fine. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, if right. you're being lazy, it's not going to happen for you. It's like, yeah, that's, that was you. her whole deal. <laughs> oh, God. As the NACW president, Terrell campaigned tirelessly among black organ- organizations and mainstream white organizations, writing and speaking extensively. She fought for women's suffrage and civil rights because she realized that she belonged to, quote, to the only group in this country that has two such huge obstacles to surmount both sex and race. Intersectional feminism, anyone? Weird. Yeah. Uh, We have an episode about the birth of the, like, concept of intersectional feminism as you know a political talking point the episode about the combahee river River collective Collective. yeah yes ma'am so go listen to that if you are curious at all about like where our modern feminism comes from um but this was you know she of course recognized this about her position in life you know i think any any black woman has and has had to and that has been i think the real tragedy of the ways in which we have not listened to black women for so long because they are the ones who have had to suffer both sexism and racism in a way that is truly unique and frustrating and horrible and Mm -hmm. um you know, and this is exactly why I'm talking about Mary Church Terrell and why we're talking about Stacey Abrams and all of the women who are fighting to register voters in Georgia because, like, that is finally a way that black women are 
being heard in a in a way that we haven't really allowed for a long time we meaning white people and uh you know it's important and it's important to talk about their contributions the contributions we don't know about or talk about or or even understand yeah you know exactly um so anyway in 1904, Mary was invited to speak at the International Congress of Women in Berlin. And yeah, the cost to attend was considerable, but her husband encouraged her to go anyway. And there she delivered a speech three times in German, French, and English. <laughs> so Holy it came shit. back. <laughs> yeah. And the speech was called The Progress of Colored Women. She reminded her audience that her parents had been enslaved, that her very being was a testament to how far one could travel on the road to freedom. She said, if anyone had had the courage to predict 50 years ago that a woman with African blood in her veins would journey from the United States to Berlin, Germany, to address an international congress of women in the year 1904, he would either have been laughed to scorn or he would have been immediately confined to an asylum for the hopelessly insane. True. Very true. Which I love. I mean, it's so, like, in 1904, she's delivering this speech in Germany in three languages. And I don't know. It makes me sad she could not deliver that speech in America. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's a speech she had to go to Berlin to give. I mean, I know we've talked about a fair few activists female activists at this time but i think that that that's that's quite exceptional yeah i agree i think it's i mean she is dedicating her life as a as a child of a millionaire <laughs> who is educated yes she is dedicating that education to the the uplifting of black people in, in a way that only she could at that time, as someone with a college degree, when a lot of women, a black few women college did not have degrees, a few college degrees, a couple, yeah, like a master's college degree. She had something that a lot of people at that time did not have and chose to use it for the betterment of her fellow black men and women. And that is. I want to say really special and amazing, but I also wish we didn't live in a world where that was necessary. Yeah. You know? And I think everything she did is so incredible. But yeah, she's right. that If anyone had said that, that someone like her would be standing at a podium in Berlin giving that speech in French, English, and German, they, they would have been laughed off the stage. Yep. yep. What an image. What an image. So, you know, Mary knew that freedom for all was never about one battle. No single great win, the abolition of slavery, the passage of the 19th Amendment would right the wrongs in a country founded on such injustices as slavery and the denial of women's rights. But perhaps what made her life most extraordinary is how much joy she got from each small victory, how much stamina she displayed in her decades-long career as an activist. Following the passage of the 19th Amendment, she focused on broader civil rights. So in 1940, she published her autobiography, A Colored Woman in a White World, outlining her experiences with discrimination. In 1948, she became the first black member of the American Association of University Women mm -hmm. after winning an anti-discrimination lawsuit. Just the, so this is just the American Association of University Women. She was the first black member because she had to sue to be allowed in. That's, oh my God. Which by rights of her education, she should have been allowed in. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, 
there these are the little things that she was doing as she as she grew got older the little activist things that were small to her at the time but were big because of their larger implications but like none of these things are even the thing that she is best remembered for so that part of her legacy the biggest part of her legacy comes in 1950 at the age of 87 years old uh okay there you the biggest part of her legacy the biggest most lasting part of her legacy okay. comes in 1950 lay it on me how is she topping herself <laughs> all right so time magazine had a great excerpt about her i mentioned it before about what happened um, and the excerpt is from a book by Joan Quigley called Just Another Southern Town. And it was published by Oxford University Press. So I'm just going to read from that because I think it it just lays it all out so nicely. And um, it starts, in a city known for iconic buildings, Thompson's Restaurant was unremarkable. Located a few blocks from the White House, it sat on a commercial corridor, banks, storefronts, streetcar tracks. Inside, it was the kind of place where customers stood in line with their trays, grabbed a slice of cake, and sat down at a table, if they were white. Mary Church Terrell, an 86-year-old charter member of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, was not white. Born in 1863, the year of the Emancipation Proclamation, she was the daughter of former slaves. She was also an 1884 graduate of Oberlin College, a suffragist, and a veteran activist for civil rights. On January 27, 1950, she had lived in Washington, D.C. for 60 years. At roughly 2.45 p.m., Terrell walked through Thompson's double glass doors. With her three hand-picked companions, Geneva Brown and the Reverend William H. Jernigan, I'm going to go with that, Jernigan, who were African-American activists, and David H. Skull, a white Quaker. Collectively, Fucking Quakers, man. Quakers, Quakers. I know. They are the best. They're the freaking best. Um, collectively, none of them made it to the dining area. The manager, Levin Ong, I think Ong, Onga, stepped in front of Jernigan and refused to serve him because he was, quote, colored. Mm -hmm, Do mm -hmm. you mean to tell me that you are not going to serve me? The manager apologized, saying it was not his fault. It was his company's policy not to serve Negroes. Mm -hmm. Though refused entry, Terrell had gotten what she came for. Thompson's had violated Reconstruction Era Ordinance, a Reconstruction Era Ordinance, barring Washington restaurants from discriminating by race. Now she could go to court. And by challenging Thompson's in the Capitol, she could have a chance of upending the edifice of separate but equal across the country. So basically, if she won, then determining who could go where based on skin color would be illegal, according to the highest court in the land. She launched her case against Thompson's almost six years before Rosa Parks helped start the Montgomery, Alabama bus boycott and a decade before sit-ins rocked lunch counters across the South. On June 8th, 1953, yeah. yep, <laughs> three years after she had been refused service at Thompson's, Terrell went on to win a unanimous decision from the U.S. Supreme Court, District of Columbia versus John R. Thompson Company Incorporated. In Whoa! Mm -hmm invalidated Washington's segregate, segregated restaurants a year before Brown v. Board of Education, the court's landmark uh, school desegregation ruling in 1954. So her wow. court case, yeah, preceded Brown versus the Board of Education, which I, is like crazy, and I never knew that. I always thought Brown v. the Board of Education was the landmark ruling, but... Yeah. It only was be in part because Mary was able to do this thing the year before. It set a precedent. It set a precedent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. And so, yeah. So yet Terrell and Thompson have been largely overlooked in the history of civil rights um, of the civil rights movement, eclipsed by Brown and the unrest that followed, especially in the South. 
Right. It was no coincidence, however, that Thompson unfolded in the nation's capital with its tangled history on race, or that the court used Thompson to relay a signal about the demise of separate but equal. Carved from the slaveholding states of Maryland and Virginia, Washington coexisted with the slave trade until 1850. Only on April 16, 1862, my birthday, when President Abraham Lincoln emancipated Washington's 3,100 slaves, nine months before the Emancipation Proclamation liberated them in the Confederacy, did wow, the capital... I didn't know that. Yeah. Only then did the capital rid itself of slavery. Um, racial prejudice was another matter entirely, as we know. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's still very true. Still, Washington was not always a Jim Crow town. During Reconstruction, black men in Washington enjoyed full citizenship and voting rights, like white men. Beginning in 1869, the capital's lawmakers enacted anti-discrimination laws banning restaurants from discrimination based on race or color, ordinances that were still on the books when Terrell had tried to eat at Thompson's. So basically, they had put these anti-racial uh, discrimination laws on the books and then denied her service 50 or 70 years later. And so she knew huh. that and used, used that for her case. Over time, the Reconstruction Era ordinances fell out of fashion and into disuse, especially after 1913, when President oh, Woodrow yeah. Wilson's administration segregated the federal workforce. In 1950, black and white Washingtonians had long gone to separate playgrounds, restaurants, and movie theaters. With the NAACP mainly focused on school desegregation, the capital might have stayed that way. But it didn't because of Mary Church Terrell. When she, what she started inside Thompson's on January 27, 1950, was a conflict more than a century in the making. It was a challenge to the central hypocrisy in American democracy, the clash between the nation's professed belief in equality and its practice of subjugating mm. black people. Yeah, it must, especially for someone with her life experience at her age, what she witnessed, like the type of hope that I think black Americans must have felt post-slavery, that opportunity was just open to them now. And she was a beneficiary of that actually being true for her case. Right. Yeah. But still seeing that she doesn't get the respect or dignity or anything, even in her old age, it must just be like infuriating and disheartening. Yeah. Well, and especially in her old age, because what they're, what, what Joan Quigley is talking about in this book is that like during the reconstruction, I mean, yes, in the, in the South South, it was different and it was fucked up and it was always going to be fucked up. But in Washington and, and even further north, they enjoyed a short but sweet period of, like, equal voting rights. Everything was integrated. And then, like... It, it fell out of fashion. It fell out of fashion. Yeah. So, the, so this law was still on the books. But, but the racism, Jim Crow, totally took over and fucked everything that they had been building toward and attempting to build toward. So she knew that in part because of how old she was and when she was that born. she lived through all of it. She lived through fucking all of it. And she saw it become what it was in 1950 and was able to use that and go, oh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to remind them what they fucking passed back in the 1860s what i'm actually allowed to do what i'm actually allowed Legally. to do so yeah i mean like truly it, it she was the exact right person for this because of all of those things those like perfect circumstances that made her the right activist at the right time at 86 years old <laughs> you know yeah Wow. So it was a challenge to the central hypocrisy in American democracy, 
As post-war activists like Terrell knew, that tension resonated in the nation's capital, the symbolic headquarters of American democracy. Terrell's battle would engage the nation's attention in the years ahead when legal proceedings in the Supreme Court would alter the country profoundly. It was both a local affair, a particular cafeteria on a downtown Washington street refusing to serve an elderly black woman, and a national one with repercussions outside the Capitol across the South and beyond. After World War II, Washington was not just another Southern town, it had become the focus of the world. Mary Church Terrell's story had roots in slavery and spanned civil rights from the Emancipation Proclamation to Brown. Her case against Thompson's helped usher in Brown and school integration, impelling a fractured court to confront segregation at its threshold. An almost 90-year-old African-American woman brought change to the nation, and it was irreversible. What's stamina? What's <laughs> stamina? That's all I, I have to say. This I know. woman was tireless. At 86 years old, she went, oh shit, I know how I can overturn segregation in Washington. <laughs> and she did it by walking into a cafeteria and asking for service, knowing she would be denied, and knowing that being denied, she could take that all the way to the Supreme Court. Wow. I mean, something... That seems so small, but she knew in doing it that it was that it was massive. I mean, that that the repercussions of it would reverberate across the nation. She knew it. Yeah, that she could affect real change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I like this little bit. In 1953, the year before Mary died, the Washington Post wrote, It may fairly be said of her that when she fought bigotry, it was never with hatred. She met lethargy and pre prejudice with spirit and understanding, and she won the hearts as well as the minds of men. Yeah, so she passed in 1953. I'm not sure what from, but something to do with old but age, I would assume. she was very old. <laughs> she was quite old. Um, and it was the year that she, I, I think, got to see the outcome of the, her, her Supreme Court case. You know, she never saw Brown v. the Board of Education. She never saw wow. the <gasps> effects of what she did. But I I'm think... I'm having a lot of feelings about this. <laughs> I know. It makes me want to cry a little bit. <laughs> but it, it, she died knowing, I think, that she started something incredible. It I mean, turned It turned course. Yeah. It's amazing like to me. She never saw Rosa Parks. She never saw the bus boycott. She never saw the effect Martin Luther King had on the nation. She never saw any of that. But she knew that it was coming. So I want to end with a couple of quotes from a few places, some of her various lectures and, and her autobiography. And these are just things that she's said um, that I thought were really interesting and smart because <laughs> she's so fucking smart. Um, she said, I cannot help wondering sometimes that I might have become and might what I might have become and might have done if I had lived in a country which had not circumscribed and handicapped me on account of my race that had allowed me to reach any height I was able to attain. Um, you didn't tell see, me you were going to get me over Clemps. Like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, seeing their children touched and seared and wounded by race prejudice is one of the heaviest crosses which colored women have to bear. Hmm. Surely nowhere in the world do oppression and persecution based solely on the color of the skin appear more hateful and hideous than, the, than in the capital of the United States because the chasm between the principles upon which this government was founded, in which it still professes to believe, and those which are daily practiced under the protection of the flag, yawn so wide and deep. That's so accurate to today still. Mm -hmm. Right. 
which is why I singled it out because it it's still true <laughs> in in um, in like so many of the same ways, you know. Yeah. Um, as a colored woman, I may enter more than one white church in Washington without receiving that welcome, which as a human being, I have the right to expect in the sanctuary of God. Um, after being accused of being bitter <laughs> in a lecture, she wrote, Colored people so seldom tell certain truths about conditions which confront their race that when they do, even white people who are interested in them feel that they must be, quote, bitter. And I think that's <laughs> where I'm going to end it. I know that that's maybe not as happy as, um, as the Washington Post quote, which I can read again if that makes it... <laughs> A little bit happier. Well, the happy but. part is that she blazed a trail for others to come behind her who are still doing the work. And exactly. that is encouraging. Yes. That is, I think, to me, the the biggest takeaway is that, like, these things that she said and wrote while she was alive are still true and that is i think one of our nation's greatest failings but mm. i am also so proud of the people who are fighting right now and whose fights are yielding fruit you know stacy abrams registered mm -hmm. eight hundred thousand voters mm -hmm. eight hundred thousand voters that was just her imagine how many of those people of of the voters in georgia who voted for the first time or for the first time in a long time this year were registered by other activists of color like other people who were lifting up their fucking community and 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 what a result to show right like, you know you know, people who have not voted in their lives usually can have a cynical sort of view of like, well, what is my vote going to do to change anything? Right. And then you actively see Georgia go blue for the first time in generations, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I think that that is very hopeful because when then you keep the momentum going because it shows that you can make a fucking difference right and that's and so we, important as we know from mary you knock one domino down and more come yeah more fall because you've already started rolling that boulder and i yep. so yeah that was that was a big reason why i wanted to talk about her is because when i started reading about her it was like she did a lot of things that we would consider small that had humongous impact huge huge impact and she fought every yeah. day of her life for that and mm -hmm. um i just think that's so important and and especially and it's important to acknowledge her for it so i'm glad you yes. talked about her thank you and i think like during this week during thanksgiving week like i am selfishly grateful for people like her and i say selfishly because like i am a white person took a long time to discover and come to understand my own privilege and didn't start to even like think about that work until very recently and i'm so mm -hmm. i'm grateful even though it's unfair for people who have been um, doing that work forever and are have mm -hmm. have been getting us closer and closer because um, I think one day we'll be there. Yeah, I hope. Well, it's and in it our is lifetime. hopeful that I I would like to think there are a lot more white people doing that type of you know inner work than ever before. Mm-hmm. 
Right. I mentioned at the beginning. A lot, a long way to go, but yeah, you know, I mentioned at the beginning that my mom is reading a book called Cast. She's she has been actively reading Mm anti-racism literature. My mom too for several months now and that is you know not to not that that's unheard of but like it's it is for her also the first time she's really confronting that privilege in a in a way that is meaningful to the rest of the world and yeah are we late (laughs) yeah always you know thank god we're here now some of us so you know, thank you to people like Mary Church Terrell and Stacey Abrams and the people who are who fighting put in right the now. the work that we don't deserve. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, if you want to help continue that work, especially before January, especially before the Senate runoff races, um, Fair Fight is a fantastic place to put your money. There are lots of places to put your money right now like you can give directly to John Ossoff or and or Reverend Warnock Um, I think actblue.com has some ways to direct you in terms of Mm -hmm. donating money but if you can't donate money you can also still donate time they need people to phone bank and text bank to continue to help register voters and get the word out because you know getting that many people to one uh race um election that was the word i was looking for getting that many people to one election is hard enough getting them to come back for a second one is gonna be twice as hard so volunteering is just as if not more valuable than donation just putting that out there and um you know gonna gonna end with that because i think mary church terrell would really appreciate um the idea that there are some new activists coming out of (laughs) out of this and her story dude that's mary church terrell (laughs) dude yeah that was great. Yeah. 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 Yay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for letting me tell you about her. I feel inspired now. <laughs> I know. I She's so inspiring. And I want that book to um, finish the fight. It's a, it is an anthology series just about a lot of amazing women, some of whom I think we've talked about already, but it's uh it looks like a really cool book so i'm gonna try and link to that in the show notes so that if you are so inclined to check it out you can are you a good witch or a bad bitch let us know by becoming a patron on on our our patreon Patreon. (laughs) oh no patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh come along with doing our podcast and the more patrons we get hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons yes so if you are interested in something like that please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you also when you become a patron you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air how exciting is that very exciting yeah yeah you can find us at patreon.com slash gwbb podcast what are you excited about this week you know mine's just it's it's a little bit irreverent and i know i'm late to the party because i'm an oldie no, it's, uh, I feel like I'm not hip to what the kids do anymore, but <laughs> I've gotten addicted recently to unwinding watching Twitch streams. So, and becoming more <laughs> active on Twitch, which is where you can watch people play video games. I like it. And chat with others in the forum. And I, it's just <laughs> become like a very Zen thing for me, especially because like some of them play games that I, I got started because. I was playing video games and there were some, I wanted to see other people play to sort of get an idea of uh, what I needed to learn. 
Yeah. And then I got addicted to the culture of it. And it is very uh, Gen Z, I think. I know there's plenty of people our age, millennials, doing this kind of stuff. But it was an area in which I was behind. And yeah. now I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm rather enjoying it there. It's oh shit. Well now the I'm streamers I'm up. following. It's very positive, like nice place to be. So not like a bunch of dudes screaming at the screen and saying "fuck you." How could you do that? You blew me no, up. No, that's not the type of streams that I watch. Yeah, that's good. I feel like that wouldn't be <laughs> all that soothing. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that I one's think... silly, but you know. No. Dude, are you anyway. doing Thanksgiving with um, your pod? <laughs> yes, your it is with our pod. pod. Yep, it's uh, my parents and Alex, and we're going to cook a lot. And I know we have a couple family members that we're going to do some food handoffs to. Oh, nice. Um, cool. Because to share some of our vegetarian stuff um, yeah. and vegan stuff. Um, but as far as actual people in our home, it's just us. But I'm happy to be with my parents, at least. So it yeah. feels like some semblance of a normal Thanksgiving gathering. Yeah, I know. It's, what about you? We are agreeing to get together with some friends, but we're all sort of, we're going to get tested beforehand. Um, and then we're going to not leave our respective apartments before that. <laughs> like, once we get our results... And yeah. like, I mean, after we get tested and then once we get our results, we're pretty much just going to like quarantine and then we're going to see three people. Yeah. Well, that'll so, be nice. Yeah, it'll be nice. We're trying to be extra, extra, extra cautious. And it's just well, happy Thanksgiving. Us. Yeah. Thank you. And you too. It's going to be good. And happy Thanksgiving. To all of you who are doing what you're doing, do you know thing. if you're American and you're celebrating it. Otherwise, if you're not an American, happy Thanksgiving. I guess even though you're not gonna, if you're a Canadian, do you've already done it, and you know, you've had your butter tarts and your turkey, and I'm jealous, and that's that. And that's that. <laughs> I'm also pretty excited about uh, holiday music this year, and it's the first time I've ever been that person. But I think it's because quarantine oh. and the pandemic have made me yearn for things that are familiar. So ah. I think that's what it must be. Mm -hmm. I get that. Are you going to do any Christmas I'm, movies I'm, when you do Thanksgiving? It'll be post. We are strictly a don't talk Christmas till after Thanksgiving family. Yeah, I that's that's how my family always was. I didn't know that there were families who did it any other way until me too. Until I was yeah much older, and then I had friends who were like, "Oh, we watch lots of Christmas movies on Thanksgiving," and I was like, "Wait, what? Why? <laughs> Why do you do that? That's weird." So yeah, I'm gonna watch Adam's Family, and you know I think that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, whatever you guys choose to do, I hope you are safe and that you have fun. And um, I hope that this episode has been inspiring for you in some small way. So we're grateful for you. We thank you so much for being with us for so long. <laughs> it's been a journey and we wouldn't have it with any other listeners we wouldn't have it any other way so correct uh, check, check. we're grateful for you and tell us how you're feeling about everything you can email us at gwbbpodcast gmail.com you can find us on social media platforms we're at gwbbpodcast and uh Instead of donating to us this week or month, I hope you will consider donating to Fair Fight. Uh, Fairfight.com, I think. We linked to it in the last one, and I'll link to it in this one again as well, our show notes for this one again. Um, and I think that's it. So with all of that said, peace out, witches. Bye. Gobble, gobble. 
Kapo, kapo. <laughs> Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. (laughs) Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us, you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon Bounce. Moon Bounce.